0: Alright, Luke chapter 15, that's where we're hanging out for the next uh, little bit, so you can and find, your way, find your way there. Uh, the title of the series is, To My Friend Who Left the Faith. Over these next four weeks, we're going to address questions about issues, uh, doubts raised by people who may seem to be apprehensive when it comes to Christianity. But before we can look outward at what people struggle with, I think it's smart to always start by looking inward to see, you know, about us, about our perception of people who we encounter who maybe abandoned their faith in their childhood. Uh, maybe you've, you've heard of people who are experiencing uh, this, this word that has been thrown around for quite a while now is deconstructing of their faith. What is our first impulse when we hear that people are deconstructing or that people have walked away from everything that they had, they had learned or everything that they had believed? Do, do we show these people that we care for them as, as they try to process or do we automatically just cut them off because they don't believe the things that I believe and I can't walk around with those people anymore? Hey, I, I just want to tell you very very. Plainly, uh, I always find Jesus in the scriptures hanging out with those people who are on the fringes. You notice that? His his sharpest critics came from the religious, not from the non-religious. And it's worth noting that in this parable, at the beginning of Luke chapter 15, you find these two groups, the religious, the Pharisees and the scribes, and they're grumbling and complaining at Jesus because, you ready? They're complaining to Jesus and grumbling because he received sinners. Can't do that. Jesus, they, they're, they're unclean people. The Jewish people even said that if you're a Gentile, Gentiles aren't allowed into your home. You can't even touch them. If you did, you would be considered unclean. Jesus will base his ministry out of this town called Capernaum. 25 plus miracles are recorded in this small little town of Capernaum. And in the Galilean region that we read so many of the miracles and the ministry of Jesus that happens, it's not only just happening where they're Jewish people, but it's happening in an area you must understand a full of zealots. Another word for that would be modern day terrorist. These followers of Judaism believed that they would do whatever it would take to throw Rome out, right? This is why Jesus was considered a rebel in the eyes of the Romans because of where he came from. But these are the people that Jesus is hanging out with, making into disciples, changing, sharing the gospel with, sharing meals together. So as these Pharisees and scribes are are complaining and grumbling at Jesus because he's receiving these sinners, he begins to tell them a series of parables. There's actually three here. And each of these parables are going to emphasize God's love for his people, but it's also going to emphasize his his endless pursuit of his people. And so he begins to share with them about his love for the lost, the same love that that we should have for those who do not know Jesus or for those who are trying to find their way back. So Jesus hung out with sinners, those on the fringes, those who use their powers to suppress the poor, and he called them into repentance and he showed them their place in the kingdom of God. So today we're going to look again at Luke 15, starting in verse 11. There's three main characters in this story of, of the prodigal. Now you've probably heard this story if, if you've been around church at all. You, you probably have heard the story of the prodigal. But let me, let me just repaint the story for you this morning. These, these three characters is a younger son, Right? The younger son is one that we typically call the prodigal. Then there's an older son who has a very important role in the story that I think we oftentimes overlook. And then we have the father. And the father is the main character in the story. He's actually mentioned 12 times in a span of 20 verses. And the word prodigal here means reckless or wasteful. doesn't mean runaway. How many of you always thought that the word prodigal just meant a runaway? The word actually means to be reckless or wasteful. And the prodigal spins and spins until he has nothing left. And that word prodigal, it appears only one time in the story as a reference to the sun blowing all of his money. So I'm going to show you the bigger point in the story. When you realize that the word prodigal applies just as much to the father as it does to the younger son. Because the story is really about God's love coming to his people. It's really about God's pursuit of his people. As extravagant as is the younger son's spending, the extravagance of the father's love is even more. So in verse 11 of, of Luke chapter 15, it says to illustrate this point further, Jesus told them this story. Now, remember, who's he talking to? He's talking to the Pharisees and the scribes. He's trying to paint the picture that our Father is a God that loves and pursues his people. So it says, to illustrate the point further, further, uh, further Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. Before we move further, here's what I want to show you real quick. Jesus is giving us the, the autonomy of, of sin. Like He's given us these three distinctive elements of sin right here in this story. So let me give you these very quickly. The first is a desire for independence. There's a desire for independence. The son doesn't want to be in the father's house. He doesn't want to be under the father's guidance. What the son wants here is he wants to go do his own thing because in his mind what I want to do is higher, greater, better than anything that my father has. So there is a desire for independence that we're going to see through the story. The second element of sin is there's a demand for instant gratification. I need it now. I want to be happy right this second. I don't want to wait. I don't have time. So the son doesn't want to wait for the inheritance that his father has for him. He wants it right now. And quite often people get tangled up in sin because they can't wait for God's timing. So there's this instant gratification. The third element, and this is probably the most serious of all of these elements of sin, is there is a desire for the father to be dead. It's not that he didn't love his father, but his father is getting in the way of his agenda. The father is an obstacle to his freedom, and if I can just get past dad, I can do what I want to do, so he wants what he wants, and it would be easier if dad's not in the picture, So I want my dad's stuff, but I do not want my dad. And so the story continues. In verse 12, it says, The younger son told his father, I want my share of the estate now before you die. So his father agreed. So he divided the wealth between his sons. God loves you even when you break his heart. He loves you even when you break his heart. And I think we're all guilty of that. Am I right? We have all at some point in our lives, we have broken the heart of God. And even on our worst days, he still loves us. Why? I don't know. But he loves us the shock of the story in the Jewish audience is that this father does not respond how Jewish fathers of that day would have responded. When when he came and asked for this inheritance, in Deuteronomy chapter 21, the law said that a boy that did such things like this should be stoned to death. So the moment, right, we're, we're a little soft in our society today, we should probably go back to stoning things, but he said, by asking for this inheritance early, He really, it was a risk because the father had every right in that moment to kill his son because he was a faithful Jewish person who would have followed the Jewish law, so he would have clearly had followed Deuteronomy 21. But this father didn't respond that way. He gives his son the inheritance. He lets his son go, and instead of pursuing him in anger, he opened up his hands and gave his son the inheritance. Literally in the Greek, it said that he gave him his bios, He gave him his very life and said, here, do what you will do. Do what you will do with this. This was more than giving a little bit of money. This was the father giving him his life. So in verse 13, it says, a few days later, this this younger son packed all of his belongings and he moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all of his money in wild living. Now, how many of you have ever sent your kids on a field trip, and you gave them 20 bucks, and they came back with a deficit that now they owed the teacher, $10? bucks? you all know what I'm talking about? I just want to make sure y'all can feel this story. He says that he packed all of his belongings, he moved to a distant land, there he wasted all of it in wild living. And about the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him. Now, this guy come from a very wealthy family. He didn't have to work because they had servants. And he has dropped down to the bottom where he is begging for a job as a farmer that he knows nothing about. He's not qualified for the position. So he persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods that he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But nobody gave him every anything. He got nothing. Would you say that his life has drastically shifted from what he thought it was going to be to what it is? This whole time, he has blown his life. His whole life is, is gone. He's wasted all of his inheritance. But this whole time, there is an underlying theme here. It's God's love. Because God loves you even when you have wandered off. The father did not stop loving him because his son was gone. There, there was still a care. There was still a love. Even when he was out making a mess of his life. And now, at the start, his new life starts out really good. There, there's money. There's wild living. But sin always starts out that way, doesn't it? It always starts out that way. And he's in a far country. He's away from his father. He's away from the restrictions. He's got everything that he needs. He enjoys his money. He enjoys what his money can buy. But again, that's the way that sin starts out because the winds change. And when the winds change, which they always do, by the way, the money runs out. The friends left. And then came the brokenness on his life. Then came the loneliness on his life. And now this young man who had grown up in this privilege and he grew up in this promise is reduced to begging and eating with the pigs. The very thing that his Jewish, and his Jewish people would not associate with because they were unclean and defiled animals. And there we find this boy sitting in the pen with pigs, dirty, defiled, and hungry. Thinking there's no hope. How in the world did I get here that quick? Maybe you're here this morning, you've realized that the path that you chose, the path you chose promised so much, but it hasn't led to what you thought was going to be promised. The pleasures of sin are real, but hear me, they only last for a season. It's only a season. So maybe maybe this weekend you're here and you feel like you are in a far country. Here's the good news: God loves you as you wander, and He never stopped loving you, ever. That, that's what our people who have left the faith need to hear. Just because you left, didn't stop God's love. They, he still loves you even when you wander. Many people assume that God loves them only when they return home and they get their acts together and everything is all cleaned up. Can I tell you, it's quite the contrary. The Bible says that God loved us while we were still sinners. When he dies on the cross, he still loves us. Even knowing the things that we were going to do, he still loved us in spite of who we are. We could be wandering in far countries, far away from God, and he still loves us. The good news for you this morning is your sin did not cancel God's love for you. Didn't cancel it. And we, we could stop right there and just bask in that thought. Because he had every right to. Every right to. But instead, God loves his people. He loves his creation. He loves his sons and his daughters. God loves you as he brings you back. He loves you as you wander away. But God also loves you when he brings you back and you don't come back clean and all put together. There's this fake facade that we put up that I got to have all this stuff together if I come to church. And if and if you're new here this morning, we are broken people in this place. We are hypocrites, we are liars, we are swindlers. And we're trying to get better through Jesus. We're imperfect people. Any, anybody agree with that? they are imperfect people in this room. And I'm not talking about your spouse. I'm talking about you. Imperfect. But God loves you when he brings you back. Look what he says in verse 17. When he finally came to his senses. Have y'all ever done something so dumb that you thought about it and you finally came to your senses? That's hard to come to your senses because typically when we come to our senses, there's apologies that have to be made. There's some act on our behalf that has to happen, right? He came to his senses. He said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have enough food to spare. Now, where is he eating? He's eating out of these pig troughs. And this is the thought, that even the servants at my house have enough food to spare, And here I am dying of hunger. So I'll go home to my father and I'll say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called to your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returns to his father. Can you imagine? This guy's walking on the way home. He's rehearsing the speech. He's He's getting it all built up because he, you know, it's one thing. Is my father going to accept me? Because I just took everything that he's worked his life for and he gave it to me. There is no retirement plan for me now because I blew it. And I've got to walk back and tell my father this. And as he walks down those dusty roads, he's processing the speech over and over and over again. The one thing that you may not notice in this story, it looks in the story like, like the son decides that he's going to come home on his own. But that's not true. Because Jesus is talking, and he's hearing from God, and he comes home. Because remember, this is one of three stories that Jesus is telling to the, the, the scribes and the Pharisees. See, the first one is about a lost sheep. You all remember that story? A shepherd, he said, had a hundred sheep and one went missing. And the shepherd couldn't just cut his losses and rejoice in the ninety-nine. He had to go find the one. And then there's a second story about a lost coin. About a woman who has ten coins. She loses one somewhere in her house. Similar to the previous story. She doesn't just rejoice in the nine. She pulls apart the entire house piece by piece until she finds the lost coin. And the climax of this Jesus trilogy is this story about a lost son. The nature of love is that it doesn't stop and it doesn't give up. never gives up. And maybe this weekend you find yourself flat on your back. You may, you may feel like you're flat on your back. And if you are, that's a good place. Because if you're flat on your back, you're now looking in the right direction. You're now seeing where God is. It's not by accident that you're here today. God loves you when you're away, and he loves you as you come back. But God also loves you as he wraps you in his arms, as a father. It's so important that we do see God as as God, because he is God. He is majestic. The, The scriptures tell us that. But don't forget that he has called us sons and daughters. He is our father. When the disciples said, Jesus, please teach us how to pray, he did something that was crazy. When he said, when you pray, pray like this, our what? Father. What Jesus was saying, this is personal. He, He is our Father. He's a good Father. He loves us. He cares for us. And he wraps us in his arms, protects us. So in Luke 15, verse 20, while he was a long way off, still coming down the road, his father saw him coming. And look at this, his father, not filled with anger, not filled with bitterness, the Bible says that the father is filled with love and he is filled with compassion and he runs to his son and he kissed him. I have to think about the son in this moment going, this is not what I thought was going to happen. Because I didn't think that I was going to be able to walk back through the the door of my home. But my dad is meeting me before I ever get here. And he has embraced me in his arms and has kissed me. That word compassion in the Greek is splagma. That's a fun word. You should name your next animal splagma. It literally means from the bowels. So the compassion the Father feels comes so deep inside of him, it's almost like a reflex. It's instinctive. It's natural. This is not calculated. It's not a what's the right thing to do here kind of decision. This is what is naturally in the Father's heart. When he is moved with compassion. That it's so naturally, it just comes from deep within of who he is. And all throughout the Gospels, we find the phrase that says that, in Jesus was moved with splagma. He was moved with compassion. He was overcome with compassion. He healed them. He taught them. It was the most natural gut reaction that Jesus had. And in the presence of sin and suffering, if you remember the story of the woman who had been bleeding for 12 years and she snuck through the crowd just to touch the hem of his garment, Jesus said, Who touched me because I felt the power come out of me? Remember that story? It was a reflex of what was down deep inside of his compassion. The second word I want you to notice here is the word ran. Now, in the Greek, the word "ran" means ran. It's so intriguing. Grown men in those days did not run. They did not run. I would say even in our day, grown men typically don't run in public. Right? If you see me running, you should probably be running too, because something's wrong. But they didn't. They didn't run. In those days, running was considered undignified, right? Undignified. Furthermore, men of, of stature, like the father, wore robes, and robes are not good for running. I, I've never seen a, a marathon where people in full ankle length robes ready to run the bridge in Charleston. If you have, please send photos. Because to run in a robe means this man would have to lift it up in front of the robe and he would expose his knees. That's shameful. Can't be showing knees, no kneecaps. But the father seems so oblivious to all of this that he's so overcome with compassion for his son that he forgot everything else and he takes off running in his robe, showing off his kneecaps as he runs. And he began to whisper, in in his son's ear assurances that i love you i love you i love you so the son gets ready to give the speech that he has prepared and he says in verse 21 his son said to him father i have sinned against both heaven and you and i am no longer worthy of being called your son but his father said did you did you catch that the father didn't even let him finish his rehearsed speech Father, I've sinned, forgive me. He didn't even acknowledge the speech. The father immediately turns to the servants. He says, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his fingers, sandals for his feet, and kill the calf that we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a barbecue. And for the son of mine was dead, and he is now returned. He was lost, but now he is found. And so the party began. And if I'm the son, I'm going, what in the world? Because I do not deserve any of this. That's because God loves you as he baptizes you with grace and he makes all things new. All things. Did you catch it that he gives He gives three gifts to his son? Three gifts. He gives a robe. Not just a robe. It says that he gave him the best robe. The best robe would have belonged to the father. Clothe him with my robe. This means the dad gave the son his own garment. So he got a robe. He also got a ring. This was a symbol of family authority. He's immediately being restored to his status as a son. And then he gets sandals. Sandals were a sign of wealth. Servants did not wear shoes in those days. Only the son could wear shoes in the house. And these are the gifts of the father. Not only did the father withhold punishment, he bestowed gifts. It's the greatest word in the English language. And what separates the Christian message from every other message is grace. Grace. Getting what you did not deserve. If you want an old pastor acronym, it's God's reward at Christ's expense. He got what he did not deserve. Where's the shame in the story? Because wouldn't you, if you're the child, feel somewhat shame, guilt? The shame's been removed. The only shame in the story is experienced when the father lifts his robe and runs to his boy. God loved us when we rejected him. And he loved us as we wandered. He loves us as he brings us back. He loves us as he baptizes us with grace. And sometimes people talk about salvation as this is some kind of calculated theological transition. It's not. It's, salvation is God's heartbroken pursuit of his people. Of his people. God loves you even when you're too proud to receive his grace. He still loves you, still cares for you. The story continues in verse 25. It says, meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. He probably thought, oh, (laughs) dad threw me a party because younger brother decided to head on out and I hear this music playing So he comes in from the field after a hard day's work and he asked one of the servants, what's going on here? And then he heard the words, your brother is back. And he was told, and your father has killed the fatted calf and we're celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and he wouldn't go in. His father came out and he begged him, but he replied, all these years, all these years, I've slaved for you. And never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And in all that time, you never gave me one of of the young goats for a feast with my friends. Your parents ever been so harsh, they never gave you a goat feast? Yet, when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fatted calf? His father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me, and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. How many times do we read those words in the scripture? The brother on the surface surface looks like the opposite of the younger son. He's the good boy. But there's a subtle detail that you don't want to overlook here. Because the son's also outside the house, and the father has come outside of the house to him also. The father leaves his place in both scenarios with the younger son and the older son to leave the house to come out to his children. He actually has a lot in common with the younger brother, because both want the father's things But neither really wants the father. The older brother doesn't want to be with his dad either. He resents his father's grace and has no desire to be like him. And what Jesus is teaching is that there are two ways you can stay separated from God. You can run off to the far country like the younger brother and you can give yourself over to sin. And the other way is to stay near the house of religion using rule keeping to cover up the fact that you're not like God and you don't really love him. In some ways, the religious brother is even worse than the younger brother because we hide under the umbrella of religion to make us feel better. In some ways, this religious brother is worse because at least the younger brother knows the need for redemption. The pride of the older brother keeps him from seeing how broken he really is. He's just a stranger living in the house. So my question this morning to you is, what, what do you need To have a change of heart what do you need for a change of heart because I've got good news for you religious people God loves you and he also wants to give you love he cares this is this is an invitation this is an invitation to the father did you notice the story never really resolves It doesn't tie up in a nice little bow. There's no resolve. It it just cuts off very abruptly in verse 32. And you're left asking, what does the older brother decide? What does he do? Does he receive the father's invitation to come in, or or does he stay outside of the house? Well, the question is not what the older brother does. The question is, what do you do? Jesus is asking these, these scribes and these Pharisees. He's saying, hey, Are you gonna stay outside the house and and just stay with your religion are you gonna come in and celebrate being a son and a daughter of the king this is an invitation story just to older brothers telling them the grace of God is for you too he loves you even when you're too proud to receive grace and he stands ready to receive you when you're humble enough to admit that you need him. So today, maybe perhaps you feel like a prodigal. Not just wandered off, but you've lived recklessly. You've wandered away from God. Perhaps you feel shame any that you think about your past and what's happened, but here's the good news. Jesus extends his invitation to follow him, everybody, without discrimination. It's an invitation that he's given us. No matter what your past is, No matter what your present is, no matter how wounded you have been, no matter how messed up you have been, nothing has disqualified you from answering the invitation that Jesus has for you. Amen? Because when we realized that we needed him, and we realized there was an invitation to join him at the table to feast, it wasn't a, I'm sorry, you need to go get cleaned up before you can sit here. No, the father was pulling the chair out, pushing us to the table, spreading the napkin over our lap and having a conversation with his child. We're not disqualified from being able to answer Jesus' invitation to be his disciples. So despite how maybe a church has treated you, People in a church have treated you, pastors have treated you, God loves you more than you could ever realize. So many people quit the church because of other people. I am so thankful that the disciples didn't quit because of Judas. If your hurt has been because of a church, have you really met Jesus? Jesus is a healer. I don't know where you are today. I don't know if you're in a far country. I don't know if there I don't know where you are but the spirit does and you're again, you're not here by accident today. You are here because he has brought you into this place. The Bible says that God ordains the footsteps of man and I believe that. For some of you You've wondered, and the Father has brought you back today. For others, you have people in your life that you know have wondered. By the way, this isn't inviting them here to come back to church here. This is an invitation to invite them into coffee, into your home, into a conversation that the Holy Spirit has already had. You know what evangelism is? Evangelism is joining a conversation the Holy Spirit's already having with somebody that makes things so much easier knowing that he's already there he's already got it And the Bible says that when we don't know what to say the Holy Spirit gives us words to have those conversations who do you know in your life that has wandered who's who's your one more who are you praying for this morning we're gonna we're gonna worship and sing And while we do that, I I want you to spend some time praying, asking God. Ask Him, repent of sins that has driven you away to the far countryside. But also pray for those people that God has in your life that have wandered. Pray specifically for them by name. Ask Him to give you encounters, to give you courage and boldness, just to go have a conversation with them, to let them know that they are loved. Father, I pray this morning that we will not be like the Pharisee and the scribe, but yet we will be like Jesus. If we're going to be accused of anything, may we be accused of eating at the table of sinners. So God, I just ask this morning, in these next few moments, that you would... put people on our hearts that you have already started a conversation with that you want us to go speak to that we would engage in some form of a spiritual conversation this week for those who have wondered I just pray God that today will be the day that they come home to you that they repent of sin and just simply say Jesus I want to follow you forgive me of my sins today will be the day that they start their journey father we thank you for all that you're going to do in this place in these next few moments and we pray these things in the name of a loving accepting father amen and amen